Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. I am Juem Navarro Rivera. And this is Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. So today we are continuing our non-stop coverage of the 2017 Honduras presidential election. Uh, or general elections, because actually, as you mentioned in the previous episode, all positions or, or, or elective offices are actually or where, uh, because at the moment, at the point we actually released this episode, the elections had actually been conducted. So, uh, so I think there are a few questions from the previous episode in which yeah, you previewed the election and kind of talk a little bit uh or a lot uh about the different players and what the parties stood for and what were potential scenarios during the election but there was a subject that came coming up that kept coming up uh that it certainly I have read a little bit about it and it's still like I'm not an Honduran expert enough to know how how it works out uh but also that i'm assuming that a lot of our listeners especially if they're not from honduras are not very familiar with and that's the 2009 coup uh or constitutional crisis or but as i as i was telling luciano uh in in an off the air conversation uh definitely if something it's a coup is definitely a constitutional crisis so why don't you explain to us what happened at that time who were the main actors and why some people call it a coup and some others call it just a constitutional crisis so what happened in 2009 was that after a very controversial roughly year of presidenting the president at the time mel zelaya was woken up at about four in the morning and he was escorted at gunpoint out of office he was taken to an airport and he was flown to costa rica and there are a lot of different reasons why this happened most notably And the biggest reason why, according to people who supported the constitutional crisis, was that Juan Orlando, uh, was that Mel Zelaya at the time was getting ready to conduct a straw poll, which if it had gone through, would have begun a conversation about permanently changing the constitution, debatably even getting rid of the constitution altogether, starting over. One of the subtexts of this was that if this had been allowed to happen, Mel Zelaya would change the constitution, he would write a new one, so that there is no ban on presidential re-election. One of the things that's important to know about this is that if this had been the case, this is probably the only way someone would have been able to justify presidential re-election in Honduras, because the current constitution, which was ratified in the very early 80s, has an absolute ban on presidential re-election. But more than that, at the very end of this, at the very end of this constitution, the one that Honduras currently has, there is a article which says that some 
articles in the Constitution cannot be changed. One of the ones that cannot be changed is the ban on presidential reelection. It says that there is absolutely no way for there to be a constitutionally accurate, constitutionally viable way for presidential reelection to become a thing in Honduras following this coup. So if these accusations of Malzalias had been accurate, what he would have been trying to do is the only way someone would have been able to make it so that presidential reelection is constitutional in Honduras. And to be fair, he was trying to make a poll, a non-binding referendum that would have happened on election day to possibly start a constitutional convention. That is true. What we don't know is whether or not he would have lobbied for part of this new constitution to be a no ban on presidential re-election, which means that presidents would have been able to run for re-election after they had served a term. So, okay, so who did the removing? The removing was done by the Supreme Court. There are a few weird things here, as is always the case with constitutional crises and coups, whatever you want to call it. Most notably that there was a thing that people said was Zelaya resigning. No one really believes that Zelaya resigned. That's not the only thing that was weird, but that's the biggest one that people who hated the constitutional crisis, people who hated the coup, will talk about. He didn't resign, and he was also banished from the country, and that one was also a bit extreme. There is absolutely no reason, and even the United States, when they are talking about the constitutional crisis in a wire that happened, in a cable that happened a couple of weeks later, they said that there was no reason for their to be this weird banishment, this weird exile of Zelaya from Honduras. That just doesn't make sense, and it's bad, and it's part of the reason why people in Honduras feel very strongly about the Supreme Court, one way or another, whether you like them or hate them. Okay, so that's very interesting, and thank you for bringing that up, that cable. Uh, so at the time, the president of the United States is Barack Obama. The yep. Secretary of State is Hillary Clinton. Uh, what was their position on this? So Obama, as far as I know, never had a real position, but Clinton's position was all over the place. And it's, it's part of the reason why there were at least some people, myself included, who when she first announced her run for president in this last election of ours, we were feeling very iffy about her to say the least, because some of us, myself included, felt far stronger than that. But she said things that made it seem like she supported Zelaya being reinstated, which was, as far as I know, probably the position of the United States government. That was probably the closest thing to an official position that they had. But then she allegedly, I don't know if this is true or not, but she allegedly sent attorneys to meet with the authors of the constitutional crisis, the individuals who orchestrated it, the individuals who made it happen. And it seems like some of those people tried to justify the constitutional crisis. They tried to make it seem like this was the right thing to happen. And there's still people having conversations about whether or not this was the right thing to happen, but that's a conversation for a different day. 
Okay, so if this whole ordeal was prompted by a potential reemergence or, or of presidential re-election, and according to your previous, uh, our previous episode, the president is actually running for re-election. What happened? What happened? I wish that I could give you a really easy answer to that. But effectively, what happened was that the Supreme Court was taken over and made so that they couldn't disobey the Congress. And there are actually there's actually a sequence of events that happened here that deserve to be mentioned. But the biggest one was that at the very end of 2012, the Supreme Court disagreed with the president. The president at the time was not Juan Orlando, and it wasn't Roberto Micheletti. It was the president in the middle. His name is Profidio Lobo. He is a nationalist, which means, as we mentioned, that the closest American approximation of that is that he was a Republican. And he was trying to pass a bill related to police reform. And the Supreme Court didn't like the bill. They called it unconstitutional. And in response, the president and the Congress got together and they severely weakened the Supreme Court, including orchestrating kicking out some of the members who disagreed with the bill. And ever since then, that was the main moment that people started saying that Honduras' Supreme Court is no longer an independent judiciary. Okay, so, so there's a lot to unpack in here. So, no, 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 yes, there's a lot to unpack in here because, uh, so one thing that you just mentioned is you threw basically, so this happened eight years ago. And yes, the, after, the crisis after, happened. Yes, yeah. yes. So, so this particular point in which Celaya was removed from office was eight years ago. And then you just mentioned three people who were president at some point between 2009 and 2013. And so yes. how, these, how did that succession of power happen? So, okay. 2009 was supposed to be an election year, which was part of the reason why all of the events that happened, happened. And in 2009, the coup happened, the constitutional crisis, whatever you want to call it. And that was Zolaya. Zolaya was ousted from power. His replacement was a member of the same party as him, a member of the Liberal Party, named Roberto Micheletti. And that person was in power for a couple of months, the only important thing that really happened with Roberto Micheletti that's worth people remembering is that he and his government put a ban on emergency contraception. Only, only main thing that outsiders to Honduras should probably really, really know about that if you're interested in that sort of thing. And then after he ran the country for a couple of months, the next president was Profidio Lobo. Profidio Lobo was a nationalist and he was the person in power when the Supreme Court disagreed with the president and with the Congress and tried to purge, they tried to change and smack down the police reform bill. When that didn't work, they were severely crippled by a bill and then by a few air quote investigations 
that happened into them. So that way the next Supreme Court would be more compliant. And then that was in 2012. A year later was an election year. That was the year that Juan Orlando, sitting president, got elected. Okay, so what is the method in which the Supreme Court is constituted? So are they elected members? Are they appointed amidst of it? Uh, or randomly assigned by lottery? Okay, probably the last one is not true. <laughs> so what happened, and the re I mentioned this in the last episode, but it's a very, it's a very weird system. There are seven groups that are just, they're, they're not various NGOs, but they're various coalitions of businesses, of, um, of high-ranking officials in Honduran society, both unelected and elected, who get together. Each of these seven groups creates a list of 20 people. They send this list to the, they send this list to the Congress, and the Congress narrows down the list, and then they select 15 people. When these 15 people have been selected, they then go and ratify the selections. And when the selections have been ratified, the Supreme Court sits for seven-year terms. The thing that's confusing to me, and part of the reason I didn't want to talk about this, is that I'm not entirely sure when the last Supreme Court was elected. I have a feeling that the last Supreme Court was elected, I think it was in 2009, because I know that last year there was a whole process for the new Supreme Court, which is currently sitting. So they are all, and I, I'm assuming, elected means by, so it's an indirect election. So it's basically they're kind of like yes, it's an indirect election. Uh, and so they are, so those, but they all serve together. So there's no, it's not kind of like the U.S. Senate in which like one third of the Senate serve six years, like oh, everybody serves six years, but they serve in interlocking terms. Uh, so one third of the Senate is up for re-election every two years. So all these people serve at the same time, and a new court comes every seven years. Yes, that's, that's it exactly. So the, the people who are elected are the mayors of the municipalities, the entire Congress, all 100 and either 26 or 28 members. I think it's 128. And the president and three vice presidents. And then the president and the Congress work together to ratify a list of Supreme Court people. The Supreme Court is 15 people. There's three people in each chamber. Oh, yeah. And one of the weird things, and I know I say that a lot, but it's, it's completely out there compared to the United States at the very least is that if their Congress doesn't have a unanimous decision, it goes to everyone. The decision, all the decisions are supposed to be unanimous. And if they're not unanimous, then they go to supreme, like, supreme majority. So it goes from one chamber, regardless of whether it's the constitutional, the constitutional chamber or the criminal chamber, and then it's decided upon by three judges. If the three judges don't decide unanimously, it's sent to the entire Supreme Court. Oh, so let's let's unpack that a little bit again. So, <laughs> so these are so uh, so so this is the Supreme Court or the equivalent yes. of the Supreme Court, and so decisions that go up there, like they have to be unanimous. That's what 
So it's kind of like work like a jury, like a jury system in the U.S. where like uh, decisions are often in most state systems, like they have to be unanimous, uh, the verdicts. And then if not, there's like an alternative system to uh, make binding decisions. That's what I understood or I just totally got lost. That was more or less what happens. So, okay, I'll, I'll give you a very brief example. Someone finished, someone is supposed to be sent to prison. They appeal their court case. There's three tires of the Honduran justice system, but we're just going to assume that they go straight up to the Supreme Court. They're in the criminal chamber of the Supreme Court. Their case is heard. If all three judges come to a unanimous decision, the end. If they don't, that case is advanced to all 15 members of the Supreme Court. And then from there, it's a simple majority. Ah, got it, got it. So basically, like, they sit, like, in panels. Uh, so yes. they have... Okay, so so basically, they, they assign different caseloads to panels of judges or justices. And then if those decisions are not unanimous at the first instance, which is reviewed by the Supreme Court, then it moves to the full court. Yes. Okay. Now that 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 makes more sense. Uh and so so what was the process in which so it was a panel of three judges who decided that whatever Celia was doing wasn't constitutional or that ended up going through or it was an order from the majority of the 15 member who decided That's to remove something Celaya. that I've never seen a source in English or in Spanish expand upon. And I've asked the same questions to my Honduran friends, and I don't know if anyone knows exactly what happened with that. Ultimately, what ended up happening with Zelaya was that there was a whole bunch of confusion. The Supreme Court ordered him ousted. It's unclear to me, although it's probably clear to someone who's listening, if it was the entire Supreme Court, I'm operating under the assumption that it was a simple majority from the entire Supreme Court rather than a unanimous decision by, say, the constitutional chamber of the Supreme Court, which is what it otherwise would have been. I can't picture something like that being unanimous. Okay. Um, so I think that leaves us with a lot of content that you know help us understand a little bit more the the results when they come up uh and understand like the context in which this election is happening in the aftermath of these fairly recent events uh and whether you know any major changes are going to come up as a result of of the elections, including whether the the results are contested by any of the losing sides, uh, and so I would like to thank you for this little primer on Honduran politics. I do want to say one thing that we didn't touch on. I don't know if you mind. Okay, so I'm gonna make this very, very, very brief. The events that happened that cons that constitutionalized Honduran presidential re-election are worth talking about because if we don't say them now, odds are people will not understand them. 
in it was oh, yes. a go for it. yes the specific events as i mentioned earlier in this episode or in the last episode i'm not entirely sure which one there was a person who was president in the 1990s who went to the supreme court and he said that he wants to run for re-election but he can't he argued that it was denying him his rights he was being deprived of his right to be a president that's nonsense but it doesn't really matter what matters is what happened next what happens next is that in 2015 the moment for the court to finally decide whether or not they're going to grant this and change the constitution happens and it is a unanimous decision but then it's contested by one of the supreme court judges who voted for it to be a unanimous decision and that judge retracted his vote and after he retracted his vote they came to a decision that said that you cannot retract your vote so what he wanted to do was he wanted to send it to the entire supreme court where it possibly might have been stricken down and he wasn't allowed to do that i don't understand why he voted the way he did originally but it's it's worth not leaving our listeners with the idea that the Supreme Court either got together and decided that this was what was best for the country or that this was, in fact, a unanimous decision because it was somehow neither of those things. That is a very good content. And so I want to thank you for this kernel of knowledge. Uh, remember, uh, actually, no. Do you have any questions for our listeners? I have a few. Uh, one of them is, were you familiar with these events uh, before this episode? Uh, second, what do, you, what do you think in terms of, especially if you're familiar with the U.S. Uh, political system, like how these... You know, one of the interesting things about politics, especially coming from a political science background, is that, you know, not, n all systems are not equal. And so what do you think about this particular system that Luciano explains compared to the one we have here in the United States, which is a little bit more messier? Uh, and, and has this helped you understand a little bit more what the, you know, what all, what these particular this year's election is all about my questions for the listeners is have these explanations helped you understand what's been going on in honduras honduras is a very nice country that for a variety of reasons gets a very bad rep and i want people to understand it better because i fell in love with honduras after living there for two years and anyone who knows me back from when I was in Honduras, will tell you that I didn't seem to like Honduras when I first got there. But by the time I left, I loved Honduras more than some of them did. And it's, it's very important to me that people actually understand Honduras accurately. And that passion spills over and makes it difficult for me to talk about these things neutrally. But I hope that the explanations that I gave you made sense. And if you have any suggestions, if you have any things that you would like to correct me on, please feel free to leave them in the comment section down below. And yeah. Okay, so this has been the Benito Juarez experience. Remember, subscribe to the podcast, listen to the podcast, of course, which 
if you are doing that right now, it's probably you're listening. Uh, review the podcast. And, of course, follow us in social media, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, this has been Juem Navarro-Rivera. And this has been Luciano Joshua Gonzalez. Thank <laughs> you.